yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. The reading of the word from Matthew 2:13 through 18. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. I'm, it's an honor to be here today, and I'm Hope that you've been able to track with us through this Advent season uh, as we walk through the story of Jesus' arrival to earth from the book of Matthew. Before we jump into the sermon, I have two things I want to offer you. Uh, The first is to remind you that our Christmas Eve service this year is going to be online, on demand, uh, anytime on Christmas Eve. Uh, And so if you wake up and you decide you want to watch Christmas Eve service, God bless. Uh, But anytime you're able to gather uh, and and be a part of that, we want to encourage you to check that out. You can find that on our website or on YouTube. And and we have prepared a little bag, uh, Christmas Eve at Home, and it's got some goodies in it for you and your family so you can participate along with us uh, during the service. And uh, you can pick that up. You can pick that up uh, here at the building uh, anytime tomorrow, Tuesday, or Wednesday until noon. Uh, Or you can come to the 3 o'clock service today at the park and pick one up there. Uh, But we hope that you have a very Merry Christmas. Uh, And we hope that the Christmas Eve service in some ways brings you that spirit, that presence of Christ uh, into your situation. Uh, As you also know, this season, uh, we have uh, handed out a liturgy, an unraveled liturgy, and it was a prayer that you said in the morning or in at night, and and there was attached a a bit bit of rope that you could tie 
uh, as you said that prayer. It was, it was an act of, of doing and undoing, an act of trust of God that all of the mess you made throughout the day that God would undo uh, as you went to rest. And I hope that your family engaged in this prayer as my family did. And I want to I show you a quick video and then I'm going to explain it. No matter the news of our day, we remember the news of Advent. The news that one day your goodness will come to light just as you came as a light to the world. One day, our desire to return to normal will no longer be normal because your whatever in full. One day. One day, we will be with you. finish. Well, we have left on. One day, we will be with you as you have been with us. Even? And even in the midst of things not going the way we hoped, your kingdom is greater that one, wait, than that what we can ever hope. This one? That one you saw it, I do it? As our labor comes for the night, we will be mindful of the world's labor pain. As we wait for you. And whatever if we are to carry over anything from today, maybe the warmth of your Elliot, that's gonna catch up. No, it so I show that not just because I'm a proud dad, but I want to tell you the story. Um, two days before I took that video, my son grabbed the liturgy sheet and he said, I'm going to pray this time, dad. And he began to, to say it. Now, he's three years old. He can't read. But we had been saying that every night and every morning for, for about three weeks up to that point. And just hearing that prayer every night and every morning, Elliot memorized it. I say that because I want to tell you two things. First of all, you as a parent are the most important persons who are going to spiritually form your children. I am so proud of the way that Highland, from, from birth until death forms people into the image of Jesus Christ and helps them engage on the pathway so that they can be formed to look more like Jesus. But you as a parent are able to do that more than any other person in your child's world. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out to say, be intentional about what you say and intentional about what you do. And Maybe, just maybe, I think what Natalie and I realized is we need to be reading more scripture and repetitiveness over and over in our sons' lives so that that is written in their hearts. Scripture that is written in your hearts can never be taken away from you. They can never take the word of God away from you when it's in your heart. And so we're going to be very intentional about writing scripture into our sons' lives so that they can see it. Because what you do as a parent matters more than anything else. Okay, let's look at the text. 
And this morning, I'm, I'm mindful of my friend Aaron Scott. Aaron is preaching this morning at the South Main Church of Christ where he grew up. It's notable that he's preaching there because yesterday he preached his father's funeral in the same building. And two days ago, he sat and he held his cousin's hands as his aunt died, two floors down from where his father died the day before. And we as a church are mindful of Joey and Nancy Cope, the Wilburns, uh, Marion Ermness, and the Riggs and the Maxwell families. As Jeff said at the top of the service, it was a beautiful, beautiful time to honor Mark. And what we've been doing this Christmas, this Advent season, is we've been talking about the unraveling that happens when Jesus comes to earth. What we saw the first week is that when, when, when Jesus comes to earth, he comes into a family tree that's got a lot of kind of shady spots in it and a lot of stories that are, people are slow to tell, a lot of skeletons in the closet. But, but Emmanuel unravels your family history. And then, then Emmanuel, Jesus unravels shame. That, that Joseph chose to stay and bear up under the scandal of a baby that everyone knew wasn't his. That Christ unravels the shame in your life. Not just in your life, but Christ unravels the shame, the, the, the forces of evil in this world, empires, that Herod is, is terrified of a baby because a baby means the end of his power and the thing that powerful people want more than anything else is to hold on to power. And if we're honest, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. That sometimes the unraveling is the best thing that can happen. Today what we're going to see is that the power of Jesus is going to unravel sin and death once and for all. It's clear in the story that, that we see today that, that, that Matthew is trying to draw a line directly between Moses and Jesus. Both are threatened by a despot that tries to murder them as a baby. Moses has to flee out of Egypt later to return to save his people from slavery. But Jesus must flee to Egypt later to return to save his people from the slavery of sin. And what Matthew does here is, is beautiful and elegant. It's a, it's a little story captured by these three Old Testament quotes. And, and I say that to remember that Matthew is very interested in to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture, not in the sense that he checks all the boxes, that Jesus is the embodiment of the Old Testament. Jesus is the, is the answer to the question that the Israelites have been asking for hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus is flesh. Word made flesh. The quote about Rachel weeping over her children is from the book of Jeremiah. And in its original context, it's about exile. Rachel's tomb was about six miles north of Jerusalem along the road that the Israelites would have been forced to take after the city of Jerusalem fell and they're pulled away into Babylon. And all of those exiles would have walked past Rachel's tomb and Rachel then is there weeping for her children who are being carried off in chains, never to return. And then the story ends by mentioning Nazareth as the place that Joseph and Mary settle. That's where Jesus is going to grow up. And you have to remember Nathaniel asking that question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In California, you might feel the same way about 
Fresno or Stockton. There's a joke in California that everybody knows that there is a reason why it's not called Fres Yes. There is a reason why it's called Fresno. And every time I told that joke in California, I would have someone's spouse come up to me and say, my husband or my wife came from Fresno, and I'll have you know I was a little bit hurt when you told that joke. And then I would turn to their spouse, and I would say, is Fresno a good place? And they would say, no. And so I just kind of proved my point. But, but that's California. In England, they would say the same thing about Cardiff in Wales. It is a terrible place to be out of. And northern Arkansas says the thing about southern Arkansas. Southern Arkansas says the thing about northern Arkansas. So maybe here in Abilene, you know, what good can come out of, you know, Oklahoma? That, that was a no-win. There was no place in the world that I could say right now that someone from Highland is not from. I'm just grateful that no one's in the room and nobody can come and talk to me, so that'll be fine. And if your spouse is from Oklahoma, turn to them and just ask them, is it really that great of a place to come out of? The answer is no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the reality is that there are places like Nazareth all over the world. Places that create hard circumstances. It's difficult soil. But what we have found is that hard circumstances and difficult soil creates some of the most beautiful and profound works of art, literature, and in people, character. Some of God's miracles are very common. They're not strange at all. They're very common. And one of the most common miracles of God is that he gives beauty from ashes. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how God does it, but it happens all the time because good things can come from hard places. And Matthew uses this to his advantage. Good things come from hard places. The Messiah will be a Nazarene. And so Matthew does something brilliant here. In one story, in three short scenes, he tells us who Jesus is. He is the one that will return his people from sin, the way that Moses returned the people from slavery. He is the son of an exile, the exile who will bring his people home. And he is from Nazareth. He is the Messiah. But God's redemption of the world will have a cost. Jesus isn't the only innocent who will die for the sins of the world. And Matthew chapter 2 is the one of the most honest and devastating parts of Scripture. In Herod's desperate attempt to keep power, he'll murder babies. And I wish we could say that this is just a one-off in history, this one time where humanity made a terrible, terrible decision. But all you have to do is, is remember the facts of Peshwa or Sandy Hook or the boys and girls in Nigeria and remember that this happens all the time. God didn't do this. This is a consequence of, of free will that humanity has the power to do unimaginative and horrendous evil to one another. There are powers at work in the universe, and there seems to be no sign that until Christ comes again, those powers will ever abate. And I loved what the hams say, that love is an act of defiance. 
in a broken world and in a dark place where the dark is terrified of even just a small spark of light because it flees the light. Love is an act of defiance. And that Jesus, even as a baby, is terrifying to the darkness. And the end of the story that Matthew will not let you escape as you read a wonderful story about Christmas is that Jesus came to unravel the power of evil, of sin, of death. It's in this broken world that we celebrate a newborn baby, God with us, coming into the world. And for a moment in this world of pain and evil and war, there is peace. And for a, a moment, we have a glimpse of what is coming, of what is not already here, but, but yet is on the way. And maybe that's a piece of what love looks like at Christmas. And so if Christmas calls you to do anything this year, it is to be a person of peace and love wherever you go. So I want to get real practical for a minute about how you do this. Because for a lot of people, this is going to be a very hard holiday. And so as you go into hard places, maybe that's people in your family from old stories that have been broken from long ago. Maybe that's new grief that's fresh and ripe and, and still kind of raw. Bring the presence of peace. And the only way that you can do that is by doing the work yourself to be a person of peace. You can't, you can't pretend to bring peace to, to people around you. You have to be a person of peace, and that only happens by resting in the presence of God. So wherever you go this week, be a person of peace. Remember and don't ignore. The hardest thing in the world for someone that has lost somebody this time of year is that they feel alone in their grief. And, and part of that is because everybody is sensitive to it. They love their friends and family. They love uh, one another. But, and they don't want to, to ruin a holiday that's supposed to be about joy and, and, and gift-giving and all of those good things by, by remembering somebody's hurt. My, my father died before I got married. He got to go to my graduation and my brother's wedding. And when I got married, my brother came up to me. This was the best gift that he gave me. It was a joyous time. We were, we were in this dance hall in Abilene. Uh, it was like second floor of like the Elks Lodge or something. I don't know, Elks Place downtown. And, and, uh, and we were dancing, having an amazing time. And my brother came up to me. He kind of had red rims in his eyes. And he said, I really wish dad had been here. And I think about that act of courage to, to insert that memory of my father in a joyous day. It was the best thing that he could have given me. It was the best gift. Remember and don't ignore those that you've lost for the people around you. Tell those stories. Begin remembering them. You honor that person. You love that person. And you remind those that have grief that they're not alone. Last, what to do with a hard holiday is, is listen, but don't solve. If somebody wants to talk about hurt or pain or suffering that they're feeling, just you be present. You listen to them. You don't have to solve their problem for them. You don't have to fix it. Just, just listen. That's a gift of immeasurable worth. There are some things that you shouldn't do, however. Don't say, these are two phrases that you should never knew, use during 
the holidays or any time around somebody that's grieving, don't say, I know how you feel, because you don't know how they feel. Every grief is unique in its own way. Every, every suffering is, is, is particular. You don't know how somebody else feels. You have, may have suffered the same thing that they did. But don't use those phrases. You can just be present. You can listen. Offer reassurance of love. And above all, more than anything else, do not justify the death of a loved one. The worst possible thing you can say to anyone, especially someone that's lost a child, is God must have needed them more than us. That is a theologically bankrupt phrase, and it provides no healing for anyone. Don't say things like that. Well, let's talk for a minute if it's you. If you're the one that's experiencing suffering and grief this holiday season, and if that's where you're at right now, that's fine. That's where I'm at right now too, and we're going to be fine. You're going to make it through. But here's some three helpful things you can do. The first is express, don't suppress. You may be feeling incredibly alone because there's a big holiday gathering or just a small holiday gathering this year, and everyone's having an amazing time but you. Don't be afraid to express how you feel and don't be afraid to talk about it. You don't have to kind of just like blurt it out in the middle of Christmas dinner, but, but find ways to express things. It's okay for you to cry this holiday season. It's okay for you to hurt and to miss loved ones. Express, don't suppress. The second is to honor those feelings of grief, grief and loss. You know, grief hurts. It's this kind of pain that's been sitting in my stomach for the last six months. And, and sometimes I can ignore it. Sometimes I can be distracted from it, but it doesn't really go away. What does help it to grow smaller, to become settled, is to realize that in that feeling of hurt, in that feeling of sadness, in that feeling of pain, I'm honoring my sister and my brother-in-law. I'm honoring my father who died 22 years ago. I'm honoring those that, have, that I miss, the pain that I feel. And, and that helps me settle the grief. It doesn't go away, but it's easier. And so figure out ways to honor your grief and loss. Remember that empty table or that empty seat at the table this year. And last but not least, find ways to experience gratitude. Uh, for, for most of us, um, I think the easiest way to, to, to move our hearts and our spirits toward receiving the joy that God is giving us is just to have our eyes ready for it. So be ready to experience gratitude. And if someone does something nice or wonderful for you, if there's a good thing that happens, say thank you. Because the act of experiencing gratitude helps you to deal with the, the hardness of grief. It makes it softer. I don't know how that's true, but it is. Hard circumstances and different soil, difficult soil, create some of the most beautiful and profound works of art, works of literature. But it also creates the character, the image of God, that we look like our son, his son Jesus. Some of God's miracles are common. And one of the most common miracles that God performs is he gives beauty from ashes. Let's sing together.